Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So have you guys ever, uh, anybody ever switched jobs? Anybody? Just checking. Yeah, okay, just a few of you. It's good. Um, when you switch jobs, did you have to move? Lucy, I think you moved a long way. I think you probably, you might, you might got the longest distance move in the room. It, when, you, when you switch jobs, you know, and you have to move into a new location and kind of going through that stuff, did you, did you ever want to know what the place was like before you got there? I mean, what the people were like on the job, what the environment was like, what the standards were, what the culture was. If you had to move into LaGrange, you probably were like, man, what's that little traffic situation like, you know? Uh, what's that town like? What, what, what are the taxes like? And then you found that probably ought to work here but not live here kind of thing. Um, ever had to, maybe you're student here in the room, you ever had to switch schools? And that is super tough. Uh, you're probably wondering what the school is like, what the sports teams are like, what are the clubs like, what are the other uh, people that you're entering into their grade, what are they like, what are the teachers like? Um, Lucy kind of beat me to the punch here, but you ever had to move to another country? Some of y'all in the room, y'all know what it's like to move from another country because you moved here from East Texas. And so you're like, or Oklahoma, you're like, dude, this is just different. Or you could have moved from another state like me and you're like, man, what in the world, what is this? Uh, You know, what do you do for fun like in the state of Texas was something I was asking. And it's the same answer everywhere. You just eat barbecue. It's what you do. You know, whether we're moving from a job or we're moving schools or we move countries or states, whenever we have significant change in our life, we're always asking this question, what's it going to be like? And I'm here today to tell you that I've got news for you. We're going to be moving as believers in Christ. We're moving. Uh, We're going to be moving into this thing called the kingdom, (laughs) And it operates a whole lot differently than what we've been seeing going on now. We're going to be moving to this. And so the question that sometimes people ask, I get asked this a lot, is, is what's that going to be like? And what's the kingdom going to be like? I mean, what's the culture like? What's the customs? What, what's going to shake down there? And I try to answer that the best I could. But this morning, Daniel, in chapter 7, and particularly in verse 14, he kind of unpacks this for us. He tells us a little bit about the characteristics of what the kingdom of God is going to look like when Christ reigns on the earth. Now, uh, please don't send me emails, uh, text messages that I didn't cover half your questions, because I got one text, and I've got just a few minutes, so I can't cover everything. I'm just going to cover what Daniel covers. Is that okay? And then we can cover more later. Uh, But this morning, I want us to just look particularly in this text, because we could have just glanced over it, and we could have just touched on it like we have, but but I just really think when 
When we hear the significant language that's happening in this verse, we just can't pass by it. Well, we could, but, but I'm just choosing not to. So, so this week, we're going to look at these characteristics. And then in the back of your mind, you're saying, well, you know, Pastor, this is really all good, and I love this, this crowning stuff, the communication stuff, the characteristic stuff, that's great. But when is this going to happen? When is the king coming? We're going to look at that next week. But we're not going to answer it the way you thought we were. I'm not going to give you any dates and any specifics and all that. We're just going to deal with what the text is. But this morning, let's talk about the characteristics of the coming kingdom. So is it our custom here that when God speaks from his holy word, I like for us to stand just to honor. And really, if you're a parent, this is a great time to teach your kids the difference between when the pastor's speaking and when God just is his word. It's, we want to teach reverence. For the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and his word. Amen. So let's just stand. I just want to read one verse to you this morning. Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. And matter of fact, could, could you read it with me? I'll set the pace, but just, just read it out loud with me. This is beautiful to do together as a, as a body. So, so let's begin. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Amen. You may be seated. And God, may you bless your holy word. Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the first thing about the characteristic of the kingdom. The kingdom has an exacting supremacy. The kingdom has an exacting supremacy. Look there at the first line of verse 14. It says, and to him was given what? What does it say there, church? Dominion. Now that word dominion is the word sholton, and it means a ruling, exacting authority. In other words, when Christ sets up his kingdom, he will have exacting supremacy, absolute authority. This is going to be a kingdom that is completely, totally, exhaustively ruled by one and only one person, King Jesus. By ramification, that means there will be no voting. There will be no democracy. It will be a true theocracy where Jesus himself exacts his supreme rule. In verse 27 of the same text in chapter 7, you will see this. It says, Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will give it, be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all the dominions will serve and obey him. Everything, everyone shall serve and obey King Jesus when he comes in his kingdom. Everything will be under his exacting supremacy and authority. He will share his glory and his rule with no one else. We see this hinted at in Psalm chapter 2, which we will frequent this morning. In Psalm chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 through 6, the Bible says these words, Why? Are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. 
He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. See, see the, right now the nations are, are raging. They, they, they set up this vain attempt to try to take over and establish their own kingdoms. But God says, no, there's coming one. I've set my king upon his holy hill, and he is going to have exacting supremacy in his reign. Jesus the Messiah is the king who will bring this authority to bear. The nations can rage, they can cause turmoil, but all they what they do and all that they do do is absolutely futile because Christ will reign supremely. Psalm chapter 8 verse 6 says these words, you make him to rule over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. And Hebrews tells us that ultimately that was reference to King Jesus. He has all authority. In case we're mistaken, Jesus himself even claims to have all authority in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up to them and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Absolute total authority and exacting supremacy will be given to King Jesus. He will rule the entire world. Revelation 19.11 says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Then down in verse 16 it says this, And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, Jesus, when he comes is the absolute monarch, the ruler, the king, the authority, the supreme one who exacts his supremacy in his kingdom. So the kingdom has an exacting supremacy. Secondly, the kingdom has an exalting splendor. The kingdom has an exalting splendor. You see, supremacy and authority, that's an absolute that deals with what mankind does. But when we talk about this splendor in the kingdom, this talks about controlling not only what man does, but how man even thinks. Jesus will have all authority over what men do. And because he's so awesome, all their thoughts will only be on him. There will be an exalting splendor of King Jesus in this kingdom. In verse 14, you could see it there. You might not have saw it, but, but you're going to see it now. It says, and to him was given dominion, and then that next word is glory. That word glory literally means to exalt in one. It's, it's kind of this way. Jesus Christ will be honored in a glorified way. His splendor and all that he is will be exalted. As one person said, not only will he have the power to rule, but he will have the honor from those over whom he rules. Now, there are plenty of rulers out there that you know that, that are ruling, but they don't have the honor of the people that they rule. But this won't happen in Jesus' kingdom. When Jesus comes, everyone will be exalting him and honoring him and his splendor. 
So, so go back to Psalm 2. Now let's pick up in verse 11. The Bible says, worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage, there it is, exalt the splendor, do, do glory, do honor, do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. You see, it isn't only a question of his supremacy and authority. But in the kingdom, it's also a question of our affection. He demands our obedience, but he will also get all the splendor and the glory from us. He will be exalted in his splendor. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 through 16 kind of say this differently. Paul tells young Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, there's that, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. You see, it's not just about his supremacy in the kingdom. It's going to be about his splendor as well. I get so encouraged by that. I don't know if you do. Because here's what breaks my heart on a daily basis. Does it bother you to hear or to see, or to read, or to think about the name of Christ being dishonored? I'm a pastor, and so I get to hang around a lot of people, and here's something that bothers me. Maybe you did it this week, and this isn't conviction for you. It's just maybe a challenge, but I hear a lot of people do this a lot. Jesus Christ, can the traffic be better? I mean, Jesus Christ, could the, the gas be any... We just... Flippantly, just take his name in vain. God help us. It's in vain. Are you praying? Like we just throw his name around and, and I'm, I'm like, you know, I work really hard not to do that. But in the kingdom, all you're going to hear is the name of Jesus exalted. It will never be taken in vain. And that brings my heart joy. That's my savior you're talking about. Can you imagine if Jesus was people's mamas, we wouldn't let people talk about our mama the way we let people talk about Jesus. But we just do it, right? You wouldn't even talk about your own mama the way you, you do you, you know, I mean, think about it. And then, then do we do this? Do we go around going Muhammad? Do, do we say anybody else's religious name? Or the Pope? Do, do we do that? You know why we do it with King Jesus? Because there's something special about that name. But one day, he will be exalted in all his splendor. So here's what I want to challenge you to do this morning. And I really mean this with all my heart. I don't want to just preach this passage and then us be hearers of the word, but not be doers. I want us to take just a moment right here in the service. And I want us to reflect and just follow my lead. I want you to just now reflect upon the name of Jesus. I want you to reflect upon his glory. I want you to reflect upon his splendor. Get his glory and honor in your mind. Would you do that with me right now? Would you just think with me 
Maybe you just need to bow your head. Maybe right now in this moment, you just need to go before him. And I want you just to put your mind upon his splendor. Think about it right now. Just think about the name of Jesus. Now I wonder in your heart of hearts, would you just give him glory? Would you just worship him right now and tell him about his glory? Lord, we don't want to wait. Lord, we want to tell you now that you're glorious. you are beautiful beyond description. Lord, that you're gracious and you're merciful. You are slow to anger and compassionate. Worship him with me, church, this morning. Just worship your king. Lord, I pray that you are receiving glory and honor right now. That this is just a foretaste of your glory, divine. Be pleased. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just for kicks and giggles, would, would maybe just somebody be willing to share with me something you communicated to King Jesus? What did you tell him? He's sovereign, amen. Somebody else. What'd you tell him? You loved him, amen. (laughs) Anybody use these words, man, I just honor you and glorify you right now? You're lovely. Anybody just say some of his names back to him? Now, now the reason I'm doing that is, is just, listen, what if that's what was happening all day long, every day? Would you like to be a part of a kingdom like that? When the only thing we could do is just say these incredibly awesome things about King Jesus. What is that going to be like, church? That's a kingdom I want to be a part of. How about you? Anybody want to be a part of that one? Man, I don't know what that's like. Y'all ain't with me this morning. Can, can I get a church that wants to preach back to me this morning? All right, here's the, here's the third thing, man. The kingdom has an expanding sphere. Expanding sphere. You may have asked, well, how big, how vast, how far is that kingdom going to expand? Look back in verse 14. Because it says there, and to him was given dominion, dominion glory, and a kingdom. Now, that word kingdom appears down in verse 18. It also appears in verse 27. But here's what you need to know. The word kingdom there speaks of a structure of government. So so you can literally read verse 14. You can paraphrase it like this. 
And to him was given dominion, glory, and a governmental structure. Here's the point. So so pay attention. You don't lose me here. The kingdom of God is not just spiritual. It's also, also very earthly. Some say that the kingdom of God is just the rule of Christ in our hearts spiritually. That he he sets up a rule in our heart, the the hearts of all those who've received him through salvation, and that's the spiritual kingdom that the Bible talks about. Well, I beg to differ because I'm going to look at the context and let the context tell me what the verse means. And contextually speaking, here in the book of Daniel, the reference is to a literal earthly kingdom because the literal earthly kingdoms that have happened in, in all the other places from Medo-Persia to Greece to Rome, they were little earthly kingdoms. So, so God isn't switching terms on us. He's not saying, well, those are our earthly and now we're going to deal with the spiritual one only. No, this, this spiritual kingdom is going to manifest itself in an earthly way. For all my Bible readers out there, the first element that the kingdom is going to be here is going to be the millennial earthly kingdom. There's going to be a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ upon this earth. It's the promise in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. It says, Then I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned, watch, with Christ for what? A thousand years. There will be a thousand-year literal reign of Jesus upon this earth. After that thousand-year reign, will usher into an eternal reign of King Jesus upon a new earth. Revelation chapter 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there's no longer any sea. So there's going to be a thousand-year reign, and then there's going to be this eternal reign. But the eternal reign doesn't happen until after the thousand-year reign. There's not a recreation of an eternal state until there's a thousand years upon this earth for a temporary state where Christ will reverse the curse, set up his absolute monarchy, and to reign and rule as the King of kings and Lord of lords. The point. The point is the expanding sphere of Christ's kingdom is not just spiritual, but also upon this earth and then to include a new heaven and a new earth. By the way, for that thousand years, Satan is bound into a pit as Christ reigns supreme. The usurper is set aside because Jesus, as we talked about, exacts complete supremacy. But let's just hear a description of this kingdom and the expanding sphere of what's going to happen on this, in this kingdom because the psalmist predicting the Messiah would come and reign wrote about this in Psalm chapter 72. It's kind of a lengthy psalm, 19 verses, but I want you to hear it because this is describing the kingdom. So it says, give the king your judgments, O God. And your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and you're afflicted with justice. Let the mountains bring peace to the people and hills and righteousness. 
May he vindicate the afflicted of the people, save the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Let them fear you while the sun endures, as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he come down like rain upon the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish in abundance of peace till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Let the nomads of the desert bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. Let the kings of Tarshish and the islands bring presents. The king of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. Let all kings bow down before him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries for help. The afflicted also and him who has no helper. He will have compassion on the poor and needy and the lives of the needy he will save. He will rescue their life from oppression and violence and their blood will be precious in his sight. So may he live and may the gold of Sheba be given to him and let them pray for him continually. Let them bless him all day long. May there be abundance of grain in the earth and on top of the mountains. Its fruit will wave like the cedars of Lebanon and may those from the city flourish like vegetation in the earth. May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines and let men bless themselves by him. Let all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen, church. That's what we've got to look for. I mean, the kingdom has an exacting supremacy where Jesus reigns. It has this exalting splendor where it's all about his praise. But then it goes everywhere the eye could possibly see and even what it doesn't see. But then the kingdom also has an encompassing scope. An encompassing scope. Look in verse 14. It says, and glory was given to him, was dominion, glory, and a kingdom, watch, that all the peoples, nations, and the men of every language might serve him. Now remember, in Daniel chapter 7 and in Daniel chapter 2 and some other places, I told you when that language is used, every tribe, tongue, and nation is used, pay attention because it is incredibly important. Here is exactly what all those earlier things have been referencing That Jesus Christ is going to rule over every tribe, tongue, and nation. The encompassing scope of his kingdom affects all peoples. Yet in Psalm chapter 2, yet again, verses 8 and 9 say this, Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession." Now, I want to ask you a question before we get too excited. How are the nations going to know about King Jesus unless First Baptist Church goes to the nations? We get excited, right, that the nations are going to hear about King Jesus, but I want you to remember we have the responsibility to get it there. So this year, I'm continuing to pray as your pastor about where the Lord wants us to go on missions. And I still think we need to go back to the Dominican Republic. I'm just trying to figure out when that's going to happen. But I'm also praying, God, where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to be faithful to take your gospel to the ends of the earth? We need to take it to the end of the street, but we also need to take it to the ends of the earth. Amen. It's the only way people are going to know. But in Psalm chapter 45, verses 1 through 6, he says this, My heart overflows with a good theme. 
I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. That is beautiful. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and in your majesty. And in your majesty, ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You see, with a sharp sword, swift arrows, and a rod of iron, Christ will rule the hearts of men and women. Even those who reject him, who put up a fight against him, will ultimately one day bow the knee to King Jesus. There's no escaping him. Every person, every tribe, every tongue, every people, everyone from every language, every single, single sphere of life will come under the rule of Christ. But you see, this sphere is not just about the hearts of men. Listen, did you hear it in those texts? Did you know that even the animals and the plants are going to come under the rule of King Jesus? I mean, I wish I had time to read to you the rest of the Bible, but when you think about what's going to happen to creation, it's staggering because Jesus Christ is literally going to step out and as he spoke the earth into existence, listen to me, church, the book of Revelation tells me he's going to unspeak it and then speak it again. <laughs> That's just good. And I'm going to be there this time. You're going to get to see that when Jesus just says, let's just take that back, and now let's just speak it again into existence. And listen, all the plants, all the flowers, all the animals get to what? Get to experience what this means. This way, then you've heard these texts. You've heard this about in Psalm 8. It says that he's going to have dominion over his sheep, the oxen and the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air and the fish of the sea. He will have such dominion that the earth will flourish and blossom and crops will grow and little children can play with snakes and the lion and the lamb will be able to lie down together. Incredibly marvelous things will happen. Ezekiel writes about it in chapter 34 and 47. Joel talks about how God is going to change the whole face of this earth. Hosea says that the earth isn't going to be the same when Messiah rules because he says in Hosea 2.18, in that day... I will make a covenant with them, with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the sky, and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make them lie down in safety. Aren't you excited about that? Jesus Christ is one day going to take care of all the bugs that you don't like. I mean, in the kingdom, we're going to have no fear of spiders. In the kingdom, snakes are not going to be that way to us. In the kingdom, even the animals are going to get along. It's going to be a great kingdom. It not only encompasses the scope of, of men and language, it encompasses the scope of the entire earth and animals and vegetation. The desert will bloom like a rose. Rivers will be created in the midst of the desert. Incredible things are going to happen when this kingdom comes and this king comes. But notice something. The kingdom, while all-encompassing, is especially and only for a certain group of people. I want you to look in verse 18. We've preached on this a little bit, but, but verse 18. 
But the saints, what did I say? Yeah, the saints. Can we say that again? But who? The saints. The saints are the highest one. Watch this. Who, who gets this kingdom? The saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all the ages to come. Then over in verse 27, we've read it earlier. He says in the middle of that, he says, and this whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. So then we have to ask that question. And if you walk with us a couple of summers ago through the book of Jude, and you walk with us through the book of 1 Corinthians, you already know what the saints are. But for those of you who may not understand that, let me tell you who the saints are. The word saint literally means holy one. Now, first of all, in the context here, because there's this myriad of angels and other people around the throne that we saw up earlier, the saints are some of the holy ones called angels. I believe the angels are included in this terminology. In verses 13 and 23 of chapter 4, they're even called holy ones. It's a, the same word, saint and holy one. So I believe the kingdom will be given and occupied by angels. I think it's going to be for them too, but not just for them. Then who else does this word imply? I believe the God-fearing, redeemed Jews of all the ages are going to be there in this kingdom. I believe that they're their saints too. The, the believers that, that believed in the Messiah that was going to come and place their faith and their hope and ask for their Messiah's forgiveness, they became saints the same way that you and I did, trusting in the Messiah. They're going to be given this kingdom. First Samuel 2.9 says, He will keep the feet of his saints. Psalm 34.9 says, Fear the Lord, you his saints. Psalm 149 says, Praise in the congregation of the saints. Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his Saints. So if the Old Testament folks aren't saints, I don't know who is. Saints is a term used for the Old Testament believers, those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Messiah. They're going to be there. But you know something else? Not only do I believe the angels and the Holy One, the Old Testament saints are going to be there. I believe this. I think there are going to be some other saints there. I think the apostles are going to be there. They're kind of in the middle between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it tells us in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, that they're going to rule with Christ over the 12 tribes of Israel. So the saints are going to be some of the apostles, but, but then I believe the tribulation saints are going to be there in the kingdom. As I've been reading to you the book of Revelation, the Old Testament Jewish saints, the, the Jewish saints in the period of the gospels, the saints redeemed out of the tribulation are going to receive this kingdom. And I believe, I believe we're going to be there too. I believe Paul begins his wonderful epistle to the Corinthians with this great promise. He says, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Jesus, the saints. So who is it that's going to be given this kingdom? Who's going to be there? Well, everyone who's ever believed and been redeemed by the blood of Christ, everyone who's ever trusted and believed the truth of the gospel, everyone who's been given the righteousness of Christ through placing their faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, those are the people to whom the kingdom will be given to. And he has a special place for every single one of us. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, says Zechariah, and is going to gather his people. And as you read down in the 14th chapter in Zechariah, the Lord will be king over all the earth. Nobody, nobody gets left out. And there shall be one Lord, and his name shall be one. So can you imagine being given a kingdom? I mean, like, what if the king of England were to call you up and say, I want to bequeath to you England? 
He probably wouldn't necessarily want it. I don't know. I would love it. But that freaks me out a little bit. Jesus says he's going to give you the kingdom. This is crazy. (laughs) Then why would I want to miss out on that? I mean, if, if Christ comes into the room right now, and I believe he does through the power of his Holy Spirit, and he says, I want to give you a kingdom. Why would you say, I don't want to receive that? Because if you say you don't want it, then what you're saying is that you would rather be punished in a place called hell than receive the kingdom that he wants to willingly, freely give to you. See how incredibly important this is? It's to those who have been called saint. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment of how we can become one of those, but I need to end on a really positive note before we take the Lord's Supper. The kingdom also has an everlasting span. It just keeps getting better. I mean, here's what would happen if the king of England gave me England. It'd probably last for about 10 minutes. Then he'd want to take it away. (laughs) But this kingdom, verse 14, couldn't be made more clear because in verse 14 it says that this kingdom is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is one which will never be destroyed and will not pass away. Down in verse 18, it says, this kingdom is forever and it's for all ages. Verse 27 says that this kingdom will be forever and an everlasting kingdom. Now, if you haven't really been taught how to study the Bible, I want to give you something here that can help you. The writer here is using contrast to make a point. He's repeated this theme over and over because in the first six chapters, he's talked to us about the temporariness of the kingdoms of men. That they've only lasted for a few years and then another kingdom came in and took over. He begins to use this everlasting language and all this kind of language to make contrast, to make his point. The kingdoms of men will be temporary, but the kingdom of Jesus will last forever. And that's just a good word. So remember how we started? Remember we talked about moving? Talking about switching jobs or schools? And when that happens, we all want to know what it's going to be like. So here's what typically happens when we move to the Grange. Here's kind of what we did, and you can call it whatever you want to call it. Just we're trying to help our kids. Our kids were like, what is LaGrange like? What is this place like? What is this church like? What is this going on? What's happening here? And what we try to do is we tried to sell them on the good things about LaGrange and not tell them all the stuff that we knew they were going to experience that might be a struggle. Um, and so really, in a lot of ways, what we do is, is when your employer that you're looking for for that new job or the realtor that's trying to sell you the home, they try to sell you on the high points and help you not see so much of the low points. And then they hope to get you to make a decision when your emotions are up, so that you say, yep, I want that job, I can deal with that. Or, yeah, I need that house, I'll fix that later. But you see, that isn't what the Lord is doing here. He's not trying to get you into an emotional high to make you making a decision on emotion. He's what he wants you to consider the facts. So, so watch this. If there's only one ruler and there's only one king, 
and it lasts forever, and you're not in that kingdom under that king, then there's only one other place for you, and that lasts forever as well. Does that make sense? So Jesus is trying to say, listen, you can, you can have it really good, or you have to have it really bad. So then, how do I get into the kingdom? Well, it's right here. It's right here. It's what we're going to celebrate today. Maybe my band wants to come, and we'll start playing the invitation song, and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper, but right here, in front of me right here, if I were to lift up that lid, there's some cups in there and there's some juice in there. And over here underneath this tin, there's some pieces of bread and they're really small and they don't, they're not like your typical piece of bread because they don't really have leaven in them so they, they didn't rise. And so how I get into the kingdom is right here in front of me. There's a cross on both of those. There's also a cross right here if you never noticed it. But there's a cross because there was a literal man by the name of Jesus who actually died upon that cross. He gave his body, which was perfect, because he came from God. And only a perfect person could die for the sins of imperfect people. And he willingly gave his body for, for us because the wages of sin is death. So Jesus had to die. He had to give up his body for us. And when they were putting him on that cross, they, they nailed his hands and his feet and stuck a spear in his side and blood flowed out. And that's what that cup signifies. And so for anyone who trusts that Jesus Christ gave his body and shed his blood to forgive them of their sin, they get to go into the kingdom. And it's interesting to me that Jesus says that we're going to partake of this here on this earth until he comes again and then we'll eat it with him in the kingdom. It's interesting. So this morning, if you have never placed your faith in King Jesus, you've never trusted that he died for you to pay for your sin. You've never trusted that he was buried and raised again for you. You've never made that decision. You've never truly, honestly settled that in your heart of hearts. This morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so. And then maybe there are just some other things, maybe about some things going on in your life. Maybe you just want to come down here and pray. Maybe you want to prepare your heart before we take this. I don't know what the Lord may have for you, but would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and then we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. Father, would you move in an incredibly powerful way to draw people to yourself through your great love and through your spirit? And I pray it in Jesus' precious name.